Unsolved Mysteries, Where's Carrie, Amelia Earhart, Richard's Rampage, and Miami Vice. And I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted. Not a podcast about historical reenacting, but in fact, a podcast about the show Unsolved Mysteries. Um, Robbie, why haven't we discussed historical reenacting your other other life? Well, I believe our plan was we were going to save that for the Civil War reenacting, for the Civil War re- the Ghost of Gettysburg episode, right? Oh, okay. There, 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 there's, there's one coming up for that that seemed really appropriate. And I feel like that's going to be a mega episode, like twice the normal length. <laughs> I, I, I realize this may be a surprise to you. You were not expecting it. But I really feel, though, actually, this is quite the coincidence because there will be some Civil War reenacting st- stuff mentioned a little bit later on in this episode. <laughs> Okay, but to be clear, this is not a mega episode. This is just a regular no, episode. No, no, yeah, yeah. This is just a regular episode that will have a humorous connection to the world of Civil War reenacting in a okay. most unexpected manner. Okay, yeah. well, um, and just a little warning. It's very hot in the uh, pod studio on my end. Um, it is fully summertime now. I have a... I have a, a cold brew dog in my hand. I also have a glass of ice water. But if you hear a loud thunk and me not talking anymore, it's because I've passed out <laughs> because it's so hot in here. Where are you recording in? I'm in I'm in my den where you know you've been here. It's uh, where we where we did the live episodes from. Yeah, the problem is it is basically a wall of glass on one side, and that's the side that the afternoon sun comes into, and also the air conditioning doesn't really quite pipe in Uh, so (laughs) while this is the probably nicest room in the house nine months out of the year it's getting to the point where it's getting a little difficult to be in here okay during the day (laughs) so um yeah so if you just hear a loud thunk and then silence i've i've fainted so maybe just give me a couple minutes to come back and resuscitate and we can continue recording I'll, i'll play some computer solitaire or something that sounds like the best choice excellent What's going on with you? Um, well, for those of you who might be interested, I know we actually have some people who find tales of my workplace at least quasi-humorous or mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I resumed uh, this is my third this is my third summer at the Mosquito District job. Mm-hmm. And is that the new new cool part of town, the Mosquito District? Is that what they're calling it? It's just a designation for my mosquito abatement job. Like our district is in Yarrington and mm-hmm. and some sur- uh, the surrounding area. Mm-hmm. Um, not not Silver Springs, uh, which occasionally calls in and mm-hmm. leaves a message. And whenever mm-hmm. they do, my boss starts yelling profanity at the machine because because okay. Silver Springs is in our district, and he's like. <laughs> Um, but yes. Is your boss Superintendent Chalmers? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I will say, 
over the course of my entire time working there, I have sometimes felt like the principal Skinner to his mm-hmm. superintendent Chalmers, mm-hmm. really afraid of getting in trouble and having just things go wrong. Mm-hmm. And th- that's actually part of the reason why this subject came up, because I feel mm-hmm. like I've really dodged a bullet this summer. Because, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not an outdoors person. I'm not. You've had a lot of jobs outside, though. That's like most of your jobs are outside jobs. Yeah, that's the cruel the cruel twist of irony, is like most of my work has been in some sort of conservation thing with either like Nevada State Parks or Bureau of Land Management. But mm-hmm. I hate it. I hate it so I'm, much. But Honestly, that sounds like a dream to me. I, it is for we many people, but not... F- maybe we should Freaky Friday our lives. Oh, man. Let me, let me tell you, Crystal, this is not the first occasion where I've wondered what would happen if we Freaky, freaky Friday'd our lives. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, I think we, you even sent me a text uh, over the last weekend when I was out somewhere outdoors, and you're mm-hmm. like, gosh that's nice i wish i was camping and i was going to yeah it was a, you sent me this beautiful like mist covered field that you woke up to and i'm like that looks amazing mm-hmm. yeah no but the thing is is i'm really um like an ultra homebody i'm kind of reminded mm. once when you're visiting me visiting me up here we got talking on the subject of the tv show deadwood and mm-hmm. you were saying you know it's such a great show one of the best shows on tv da 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 and uh-huh. I said something like, oh, well, maybe uh, when I come down and visit you in Los Angeles, uh, we can watch it. And your response was mm-hmm. like, yeah, or we could go out and do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I know, well, I'm sorry for making such a ridiculous suggestion. <laughs> well, I, I'm i okay going out and doing stuff on a vacation type thing. But I, uh-huh. just, like, I, I just like to stay in my house. But anyway, so unfortunately, I I have had many jobs that involve the outdoors, and I feel like it just it just gets worse because that's what my resume is, and that's those are the jobs I most easily can pick up. So, and with this mosquito job, I feel like I've been living a a lie. Oh wow! It's just I feel like. Very, I don't know if you remember, very early on when I started that job, I sent you some texts that were along the lines of like, oh man, I'm way over my head. I, I don't belong here. And I was just like convinced I was going to be fired within the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, the first summer I worked there, because uh, my boss had explained to me the, the, the job, the ebb and flow of the job is like the river's going to go up, it's going to go down, it's going to go up as stuff melts, depending on temperature, and and so you'll be have be having to deal with stuff every number x number of weeks. But the the first summer I started there, there was it was like the worst flood in Earrington's history in twenty years, so things were so bad. It didn't matter if I was competent or not. Uh, or not, I could mm-hmm. have been the best mosquito uh, employee, and the results would have been the same. So I kind of like my any any inadequacy on my work performance part was just sort of completely obscured by the magnitude of what was hitting us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my second summer, there was actually it had been a dry winter, so mm-hmm. there was only like a few days of f- flooding. And then it was just the river just continually kept going lower and lower. And I could have, 
if I was truly an unethical person, I could have just sat in my truck and just read all day and probably mm-hmm. have just coasted along uh, without getting any complaints on the machine. But this summer, it was really shaping up to be pretty bad because it's like, he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's probably going to be a normal year. I was like, oh, God, this this is where the mm-hmm. lie I've been living is exposed that I, I really mm-hmm. am not like up to this task. And the only thing I had going for me was, unfortunately for my boss, his wife has uh, cancer. So he mm-hmm. told me straight at the beginning of this season, like, yeah, I'm going to be distracted a lot. I'm going to be gone a lot. And da, da, da. I was like, well, that might that might conceal things. But no, no. Guess what? The river, it only had one sort of like surge and it's going down. And my boss is confident it's just going to keep going down. Things are going to dry out and we're going to be, quote unquote, having to look for work. So I've dodged mm-hmm. a bullet yet again on this mosquito job. Which river is this we're talking about? Uh, the, the, well, the, both the, the West and the East Walker in uh, Yarrington. Can you come fog my backyard for mosquitoes, though? It's really a problem. It's a big problem there? Oh, yeah. Like, to the point where you kind of can't, like. Uh, at least I can't because I get attacked by mosquitoes wherever. Mm-hmm. I think Dave has the same issue, too. They really like him a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I was sitting outside last night, and it just got to the point where I had to come inside. Oh, like, I can't. I couldn't be out there anymore. Damn, so, I'm sorry. Are there, yeah, it's really bad. That uh, must just be coming up. Are there large bodies of either rivers nearby? or I'm, I'm having well, Despite having been now to Los Angeles, I'm still really vague on, like, my knowledge of Los Angeles geography is entirely confined to like the the street your house is on uh-huh. and that Armenian chicken place and um fair yeah <laughs> <laughs> no we have well we have the LA River which is kind of close I'd say the LA River probably runs about a mile and a half mm-hmm. from the house um, and that's pretty shallow but I think the issue is more. Uh, People have a lot of long, like just green lawns, water in their and and water get, in their yards. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's more the more the issue. Like the front yard, you can't even like stand in the front yard with the grass for any God period of time without dang. getting totally attacked. Um, yeah, Dave was out there doing some work earlier in the spring, and he would just come back in with like welts all over his arms and back. And I'm sure he doesn't want me talking about this on the podcast. So let's move on. Okay. Shall we? And talk about, (laughs) uh, talk about, uh, an unsolved mysteries episode. What are we on? Season three, episode seven. Uh, yeah. Let's just say that's what it is. We will. Is it season episode eight? It's episode eight. It's episode eight. Final answer. Okay. You know, you were really hanging tough there for a moment. Oh, um, <laughs> but am I tough enough? Hey, great segue. <laughs> so there was some, I don't remember what the original segment was. It might have been from that part of season one. That we, that we, we skipped over. It. Yeah, I was confused. Well, the thing was, was when I initially watched this episode the first time, I didn't realize it was an augmented segment with the new kid stuff added in. I thought this was just like this girl disappeared and somehow this footage of her came up at their, their concert. And so they, they decided, but yeah, I, so when I was bringing up the Wikipedia to try to get the names right for this segment, 
I, right. I was confused because it talked about all the stuff that was not in the segment. Yeah, um, I, I think it must have been. We might have even covered it. I definitely remember the original Oh. show. I just don't know if it's one that we talked about on the podcast, which leads me to believe it was part of that second half of season one that we are saving till the end. Yeah. That's our story and we're but sticking it, to it. <laughs> so the so the episode of uh, episode eight here of season one, season three. Sorry, the beer is kicking in. Oh. Um, Dealing with the, the, the one half of the beer. Yes. It's the heat, man. Dealing with the disappearance okay. of Carrie Lynn Nixon. Yeah, that's right. Um, Carrie, K-E-R-I, if I remember Carrie. Okay, maybe. Uh, like the lotion brand. Anyway, she disappeared. We, we don't, it's, it's weird that they open the episode with an update segment. <laughs> There's a lot of interesting stuff to this episode. <laughs> so, so right up top it's updates. Um, and we're getting an, we're getting an update that this, this girl Carrie was spotted in the crowd and a, was it a new kid? kids on the block music video or like just a taping of one of their live performances what i extrapolated was that this was it was one of those situations where they have a, a big concert for a band and they actually use that concert to make a video mm-hmm. to, to do you know like a full length mm-hmm. like the the whole concert is a, uh on, on on a vhs tape right it's kind of like how they made that bruce springsteen video with Courtney Cox. Um, Courtney Cox was in a Bruce Springsteen video? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it was like the first time she was ever on, like, a thing. Oh, man. Uh, Is that he pulls her up from the crowd um, and to, to on stage. And they're dancing. I don't remember what song it is, but you guys know. It's that Bruce Springsteen video. Uh, so, so they think... So someone thinks they spot Carrie in the crowd of this New Kids on the Block concert. And... Um, her parents, or mother at least, seems to think it might be her. She's the mother seems to be kind of dubious though. Like maybe it's her. Yeah, she like this. This is clearly this isn't someone who's like I know it's her. Da da da. Like she, she's clearly on the fence to some degree, and mm-hmm. she's like it could be. I mean, it, there's enough of a sliver of hope there that she that the, this avenue is worth pursuing, but mm-hmm. it, it definitely doesn't look like, like all her hopes and dreams are weighing on it. Yeah. Um, one of the, there's a cop, they interview the cop seems to think he seems the most like excitable. Oh man. He was totally like convinced. Yeah. He said he could pick her out immediately from the crowd to know who they were talking about. Um, and then they talked to, uh, the new kids on the block themselves. <laughs> Uh, not all of them, though. I think it was just the Knight brothers. Yes, yes. Yeah. So there wasn't. You didn't get a. I don't think Donnie, Donnie Wahlberg was interviewed for this bit. But, no. um, yeah. And so they're just like, hey, hey, girl, yeah, if you're out there, like, tell a cop, <laughs> come home. Even if you go to your local police and just just tell them your situation, then maybe they can help you out. Jordan makes his appeal to the audience. If you could contact someone, you know, to, to let them know where she is, or if she's all right or anything, that would be a big help. <laughs> uh, they they definitely, well, I like how this, 
this episode, they put the new kids on the block thing right up at the beginning. Obviously, you know, even though this is potentially like a ratings booster, they didn't just... A cynical thing would have been to put it on at the very end so that you'd ensure as many people mm-hmm. sat through the entire episode as possible. But mm-hmm. I think this was an example of Unsolved Mysteries being fulfilling its civic duty and putting it on right at the start where the most like teenage girls are going to to be able to last while watching this. Um, why wouldn't they be able to last through <laughs> an episode of Unsolved Mysteries? Because they're busy um, getting their their hair sprayed and then going out to the mall where they're going to um, get some 80s girl clothes. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> do you think that the girl in the crown from the video looks like the missing girl? Well, okay, so admittedly, when they first started showing the, the further away footage, just showing all the girls in the, in the crowd, mm-hmm. I was like, I was looking at all of them, and I was like, so wh- which one is the girl? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but when they do the face-to-face comparison, and I think it was like, was it her mom? or Someone was talking about like, yeah, you know, it's you got a fi- similar facial structure, similar chin. You know, they mentioned the hair, but that's that's pretty malleable. So that's but like mm-hmm. I don't know. I, to me, I thought the facial structure was close enough that if you don't got any other leads, it's worth giving it a shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we get an update though. Yeah, uh, it's a rather unfortunate update. Uh, so, some guy who was what like involved with bank fraud am i remembering that right he admitted to kidnapping and unfortunately raping and murdering uh carrie nixon yeah i think the update tells us that he like took the police to where the body was right disposed of so there wouldn't be any yeah any ambiguity about that um yeah if it wasn't for that Honestly, if it wasn't for that update, my suspicion would have been because leading up to to the actual new kids thing, they talk about how I guess she would sit, tell her friends or just anyone who, who would listen how she really wanted out of that town and wanted to go mm-hmm. to either what was it Hawaii, Los Angeles, or was it Florida? Was the third hmm. third one? Um. And so the thing is, is like trying to when they when they proceed, you know, they're talking about uh, uh, it's just when 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 they talk about, you know, her desire to get out of town, it then like to me, the thing is, is like, OK, so if the un, if the new kids on the block theory is is correct. That implies she made it to Los Angeles mm-hmm. and she was at least successful enough with her life that she could afford concert tickets, which is something mm-hmm. I can't afford right now. So mm-hmm. it's not like she's in an, any immediate danger. So if if that was the case, you know, not not too much of a bad problem. The thing was, is it seemed like t- they su- the, a lot of the evidence they gave before this suggests that she was not 
just running off because she left behind like what money in her her room and mm-hmm. she had like gone to the grocery store to get some groceries um mm-hmm. which did you did you like pay attention to what she was buying at the grocery store in the reenactment no i, I wasn't at okay. all i was just too, i was too excited i'm sorry i was too excited for the new kids on the block. yeah i understand crystal entirely i i, I <laughs> you don't have to explain yourself in that regards to me i understand but uh she like when she disappeared her father had sent her with like 20 dollars to go get some groceries mm-hmm. and so this is stuff that presumably she's been instructed to pick up right Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's there's the large thing of milk, all right, but then a bag of that pre-popped popcorn, hmm. and then what looked like two things of uh, like um, personal size bottles of orange soda. Okay. Uh, that doesn't seem like a very healthy shopping list. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> oh, you know, that reminds me. Um, so the new newest season, season three of Stranger Things came out. Uh, oh, yes. I haven't seen it yet, but I really want to. Uh, I won't spoil it for you, but there's some an extended scene in a grocery store. Mm. And uh, there's, they're in the cereal aisle. Okay. And let's just say they kept it period accurate. I was freaking out. Like, oh. we actually rewound the episode to that point to pause it to see all the different brands that they had put on the shelves oh my god you're gonna flip dude you're gonna flip i'm totally gonna flip i'm like i'm sad that i wasn't there to watch it with you because whoever (laughs) i'm gonna watch it with is not going to share my cereal enthusiasm it's not gonna rewind the episode pause it and list off all the they they might tolerate a few seconds of that shit but the (laughs) amount of time i'm going to devote to it they're gonna be like no robert you've been you've been at this for 30 minutes now we want to watch the rest of the episode i was like but i'm i'm still i'm trying to make a few more of those out like i swear like in the very corner i can see the nintendo themed cereal dude yeah uh well, somebody had to mock up all those boxes because they don't presumably exist anymore. You might as well appreciate the details someone puts into a show. Oh, absolutely. I Well, that's the thing is one of the things I love now is when I'm watching movies from long ago is mm-hmm. like if a character is going grocery shopping, man, I am all over like the screen looking at everything that's in the aisle, looking mm-hmm. for brands that are just non-existent anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this will be a real treat for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show's pretty good, too. Hey, should we talk about Amelia Earhart? Okay, yes. You think? Uh, uh, the, ne- the next segment was about Amelia Earhart. They got, they got yeah. some, which they got some pretty good use of stock footage in there. Mm-hmm. And, they sure did. Yeah. Um, so I did a little research. I did the R word right before jumping on the phone with you here. That's fine about Amelia Earhart because I really didn't know anything about her other than she disappeared trying to fly across the equator. Yeah. Like I didn't I don't know. Is this something they teach in schools? Not really. Well I'm obviously <laughs> when I was a kid I heard about her and I'm sure it 
it had to have come up in some social studies book at some point, right? Well, I feel like it was one of those great early 20th century mysteries, kind of like the Lindbergh baby. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? Um, also, you know, D.B. Cooper, one one of the one of the big ones yeah. out there. And uh, so I didn't know anything about her. I decided to look her up. Um, she was uh, an early proponent of the Equal Rights Amendment. That yeah, they you know they they allude to that in the 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 segment. Just yeah. she wasn't just a lady who was trying to fly a plane. She was really a a woman's advocate, which was really cool. She sure was. Yeah, she uh, had a had a flying group for for women pilots. I think out of New York City for a time. Um, eventually, she moved because she wanted to be closer to a flight instructor that she wanted to work with. She actually moved to L.A. Mm. and. Uh, and so she could fly in and out of the Burbank airport. And actually the plane that she disappears in was built in Burbank. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's a little history for you. So, yeah. Anyway, Unsolved Mysteries is, is I feel like they're being pretty accurate with their description. They're just like, she was, the, she was in the right place at the right time. You know, she had a certain kind of appeal that was about, like, they say, like, Robert Stack's narration says she has a nice body, which I thought, well, that's weird. <laughs> Look, I didn't say. catch that. Yeah, but I also understand, like... Though, admittedly, like, in, later on in the reenactment when she's forced to strip naked, I was trying to see how much side boob I could <laughs> Yeah, well, there wasn't any side boob. Yeah, no, not really. Uh, anyway, um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Earhart side boob. Just, just had to get that in there. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so Stack describes her, and he also says that she was, like, pretty and tomboyish, which I feel like is a nice way of, or at least a 1980s way of saying, like, she's, like, a soft butch. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she kind of is. She is, yeah. Which is fine. Um, I'm not trying to say anything about her other than that is probably how we would call that look yeah today yeah i'd say that that's um, uh, yeah but yeah she was uh she just had the i guess the right appeal at the right time to get people to be interested in following her journey while she tries to circumnavigate the globe at the widest point and being the first uh airplane pilot to do so a lady flying an airplane around the world that's sensational <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean the others well no one had done it yeah not not a woman not a man no one had had flown airplane at its widest point. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, um, she had to make a number of stops. Mm -hmm. She left from Oakland, California and went east. Yep. And essentially what happened was she left the longest, most difficult stretch across the Pacific Ocean for last. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the last, because they only have so much fuel. Yeah. That they can keep in the plane, which they don't explain this in the segment. I was kind of upset at that. Like, they didn't explain why she had to make so many stops. Mm -hmm. um, but she had to fly, I think, from Papua New Guinea to Rowland Island in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. And that's essentially when she disappeared. The, the, the U.S. Coast Guard or Navy, it has to be the Navy if they're over there. I think um, it was the Coast has, Guard. Was it the Coast Guard? Because they're pretty far from our coast. Well, I mean, but the, they, the Coast Guard, like, they do stuff... Well, I mean, we had, but we have, we control islands in the Pacific, so. Mm -hmm. um, well, maybe Rowland Island was one of those yeah, islands. Yeah. I don't, I don't know anything about it. 
but uh, they the last transmission they get from her is they're trying she's trying to leave her radio on long enough so they can get her coordinates to guide her into Rowland. She, you know, she I may want. have been a great pilot, but she was obviously not a great radio operator, as they repeatedly insist <laughs> with multiple interviewees. Yeah, and, and you know, they describe what she's trying to do, which is basically like land on the uh, what was the quote? The eighteenth hole, eighteenth green at a golf course in New Jersey. I mean, this island is super tiny. Yeah, yeah. It's it's and this is a this is a time before radar and GPS and all that obviously so basically having to do it by charts and sight you know it, and, it um, really emphasizes just how scary it is to like fly around in those conditions where where we were with technology because I mean they're oh, basically yeah. like they're they're having to deal with like maps and stuff and like over the Pacific Ocean oh my God it, it's the same it's the same re- thing with the Back to those guys who allegedly disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle several mm-hmm. episodes ago. It's just, I mean, I guess it's just, yeah, you can be so screwed over so easily. Well, and I'll, I'll throw this in too. They still haven't found the, the was it Malaysian Airlines, Indonesian Airlines oh, flight? Oh, yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago? Despite 24-hour, 24-7 coverage on CNN for yeah. however many months. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's something that presumably was on GPS, has a traceable black box, was putting off a radio, radi- you know, they still mm-hmm. haven't found that flight. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to say, yes, it is a very, I think what she was trying to do was... Uh, fucking insane yeah although <laughs> she did she did have trying. some infrastructure helping her because there's this this coast guard ship mm-hmm. and the fact that she was in communication with it i like to me i've never really known much about amelia Earhart's uh you know story and the mystery and stuff but it kind of seems to me that this was a case of just they something went wrong and they ended up not where they expected and mm-hmm. that uh, they ended up crashing, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and that's probably what happened. Yeah, that's the that's the official report. Yeah, is that they they just ran out of fuel and then landed in the sea. They apparently would have had an inflatable raft, Be, been able to on, last for a few knows. days. But yeah, and despite having like an aircraft carrier, which uh, it was pretty wild seeing some biplanes fly off an aircraft carrier. That really. Oh yeah, they were on that like launcher there was like a track yeah. that they were being launched off of yeah yeah like they yeah. Th- th- there was a, there was a pretty significant search for them yeah they said it was the largest search ever conducted for a single aircraft mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and i just i just like, before we go mm-hmm. on real quick i just want to mention how yeah. much i love that the coast guard ship set is a corner of a room with what is almost certainly <laughs> like a fake outdoors backdrop out of the portholes yeah yeah oh totally there's like six guys crammed in a corner of a set it's including fun. one who didn't even seem to be a navy guy like if you, you saw a guy on the far right he looked like a 1920s news reporter he was like even writing on a pad yeah. i i don't know what his deal was maybe well, he might, and he, he, that might be the implication is that he was the reporter following the journey right. and reporting Oh, back yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. That makes sense. Because, you know, this was a big deal. This was a big BFD for sure. Yeah. Um, so, so they lose com- communication. Uh, her plane presumably goes down. Um, they, 
they spend just an extravagant amount of resources and time trying to find it. They never do. Mm-hmm. Time, time goes on. Um, fast forward to 1944. Uh, we are in the middle of World War II. The U.S. has taken over a former, I think, Japanese um, naval area. Saipan, right? Yeah, Yeah, Saipan Island. Um, It's quite a bit north and west of where uh, Rowland Island is Yeah, it is. It's a little bit closer to, uh, like, southern Japan and Taiwan and that area. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so the Marines, were they Marines? Let's just say they're Marines. They were. Okay. <laughs> they are now on Saipan Island. And um, we get, a, rec- we get a, a story from one of the guys who was stationed there. And, and he said, you know, we didn't have a lot to do during the day. Mm-hmm. So we basically looted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the Japanese had left behind. Anyway, they come across this old base uh, of operations from the Navy and they find a safe, a locked safe. And I guess one of the the guys that was on that team was like a demolitions expert and he had a stick of dynamite on him. <laughs> As you do. Uh, and so they blow the safe open and within the safe was this briefcase that allegedly had what, at least in the reenactment, looked to be Amelia Earhart's, Earhart's passport. Uh, pretty much all um, of her important life documents apparently yeah yeah her birth certificate her marriage certificate (laughs) driver's um, license (laughs) yeah recent medical tests everything's in there uh who knows why but that's what the guy says that he found Mm -hmm. and he said that he realized what he had found in this briefcase was of great historical importance and he gave it over to a commanding officer and never heard about it again. And so this guy is le- this marine who's now an old man is saying I'm you know I'm led to believe that that information ended up back in the United States. Yeah. Um, okay. So there's that story. Then there's the the second one involving mm-hmm. some guys who were going for what a drive to go somewhere to get something or something and they Yeah, this this is back on this is still on Saipan in 1940. No, this have to be this has to be after forty four, right? That doesn't make any sense. Well, well so it I mean, like it's it's long after the invasion has happened. Yeah, I think it might just be after after the when did the war end? Uh, sep- September or was it September of forty five? Okay. Yeah, like like Germany surrendered in mm-hmm. the spring, and then Japan surrendered in the fall. Okay, so this has to be, a, so the, the stories from Saipan have to be sometime after 44, because then the year 44 is with this other woman's story, when the Japanese were still there. Right. So this has to be like 45 or 46, either the war is ending, mm-hmm. or it is ended anyways. Um, so yeah, so then there's, uh, so these Marines are driving around Saipan, they drive by some closed off section um, of the island that's being guarded by uh, military police. Uh, the military, they overhear some conversation with the military police saying, oh, we've got Amelia Earhart's plane in there. And um, and then these Marines that are rolled up on this are told to leave. They see this plane, not a military plane, taking off and landing a couple times from this airfield. And then it's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh... 
my 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 takeaway from this is they heard some stuff and then they saw a burning plane. Right, like allegedly they heard one of the grunt marines say something like, they, "We got a million Earhart's plane in there." Yeah, like that guy could have been joking. <laughs> right. How how many like, you know, how many you know, hundreds if not thousands of just joking around stories could they have come across that that would have you know made it seem like something was in that that storage yeah i mean the the guy could have been saying we've got Co- tutankhamun's mummy in there right. you know it's like right yeah that yeah okay. exactly maybe be less literal dude i don't know so it it seems like this this second marine saw a bunch of stuff that he's connecting dots that may not be there who knows yeah well then there's a third story of a woman who was i guess native to saipan I, that's what i gathered and okay and like for some re- like for some reason she was present when amelia Earhart and her co-pilot were brought forward to like to mm-hmm. presented to some japanese officers yeah i think the co-pilot's name is peter noonan but i might be wrong on that but yeah they're they they're arrested as spies and brought to these japanese officers they're told to strip Apparently, a bunch of villagers are just standing around watching this happen. That that, that part straight that that part had me very incredulous. Uh, like, yeah, this woman also had a lot of other information. Like this, this the woman spy that they picked up was like offered rice by the Japanese, but refused it. And then the reenactment they showed this just some unidentified woman in a jail cell. Mm-hmm. Like this villager seemed to have a lot of information that she would not have had <laughs> access to. But she probably would have years or decades later when she heard about the Amelia Earhart mystery and yeah, I mean, okay, and, and the so, conspiracy theories that uh, she was captured by the Japanese. Right. Yeah. Um, what what I was fast. I I wish mm-hmm. I had because I was looking at those Japanese uniforms. I used to have a book about military uniforms of the 20th century, but mm-hmm. I mailed that to the host of the of friend, the Friendly Fire podcast because uh-huh. Benjamin R. Harrison kept sounding unsure about rank insignia on uniforms and stuff. So uh-huh. I well, you, and you sure straightened him out. <laughs> I hope so. I, I hope I hope he's gonna uh, have an easier time from now on. Yeah. Uh, well. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so she, <laughs> this this woman, like apparently, in addition to seeing the, t- being there when Amelia Earhart is presented to the Japanese officer, and just happens to be walking along a road when she's brought over to wherever grave she's driven over to whatever grave she's going to be shot into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a little I feel just I'm feeling a little incre- like I'm feeling a little incredulous about all these stories. Because honestly, yeah. like, especially the guy who found the stuff uh, allegedly in the safe, even if he's going to turn that over, I would have to think he would have, like, at least slipped, like, that passport or whatever into his, mm-hmm. his pocket. Because, like, yeah. GIs used to, like, bring home all sorts of stuff like that all the time. Well, and that's exactly what he was saying that they were doing is they were hunting for souvenirs. Right, right. He said that in the segment. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I mean, I have, uh, we'll come back to that because I have an idea about okay. it. So this woman says, this woman from Saipan says that um, she saw this female spy be executed mm-hmm. in 1944. 
Yeah. Which would have been, I think, about six or seven years after Amelia Hart's plane went down. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. That's, uh... Did she say it was in 44? God, that... that, that... Yeah, she, she specifically says it was in 44. So, With... what happened to Amelia Earhart for six or seven years? That's the part I don't understand, which was the implication that she was in Japanese custody. Do you remember very early on in our show when we covered the story mm. of the guys who went out on the boat and their boat got found mm. way, way west of in the Pacific... And mm-hmm. apparently some of them had at least been living for a while. You think, mm-hmm. you think Amelia Earhart was living on an island for years after crashing on it? And then just mm-hmm. like during the course of the war gets stumbled upon and scooped up? I, I guess I guess no. that's what how that story would have to work. <laughs> yeah, or she got picked up by the Japanese and was held for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, before they decide to execute her for what? I don't understand. Uh, like, you know, when you're in the Imperial Japanese Army, you'd be executing. I, I guess so. Yeah. Um, so, I don't, it just doesn't add up. Yeah, yeah honestly, like, having gone through this segment, the fact that she was in radio contact with a Coast Guard vessel, mm-hmm. I, you know, she, she crashed into the... The, the sea she got yeah. lost that's that's almost certainly mm-hmm. what happened uh, now now yes. do, do you have any other conjectures or i i don't and and i'd say that's probably what happened and actually that's kind of what they leave, leave the segment on is the guy who presents that theory of exactly what happened which is she they overshot the island they got taken off course the most by wind the most sensible man in the segment too yeah, and I'm glad that they like end on yeah. that. They present a couple of different theories of what happened, and then they end the segment on that guy's okay. theory. Now, this is where I have to break in and really blow your mind here, Christo. I'm, okay. I'm sending you a text right now with a mm-hmm. link to a website called airhearttruth.wordpress.com. Oh <laughs> okay, I'm going to... I'm here, here we go. I'm opening it. Okay. So in okay. in this particular link, they talk about they they're talking with they discuss the this guy named um maybe maybe this name should be deleted or I shouldn't mention it but this guy who is a fourth cousin of Amelia Earhart mm-hmm. and who was coincidentally in my Civil War club for a long time mm-hmm. who uh, portrayed Abraham Lincoln in my Civil War club. Mm-hmm. And you know he's convinced that she, the government's hiding the the is hiding the is hiding that she was captured and executed or whatever. Yeah, there. So he's saying that she was held briefly by the Japanese in the summer of 1937. Yeah, where he div- div- diverges is that her plane was not found in a hangar. Instead, the Japanese cut it up pretty quickly and dumped it into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you. Uh, I once heard the same individual talk about the plan. The uh-huh. plan being that hundreds, if not thousands, of concentra- concentration camps were being built to house all the people who who would oppose the merger between the United States, Canada, and Mexico that was being conspired to happen. Now, this was about a decade ago. Um, this individual has some very interesting and extreme views. Uh, 
I would just mention that he ran, he attempted to run for Nevada controller back in 1998. Okay. Uh, he did not have the backing though, cause he was perceived to be too extreme. Uh, though I guess maybe nowadays he would be considered the ideal candidate for the Nevada Republican party. As I'm reading this website, I'm beginning to understand why. <laughs> yes. Uh, he he lost the primary to a woman named Kathy Augustine. I don't know if you re- remember mm-hmm. hearing her, about her at all. No, no, this is probably before my. Okay, yeah, she she's the time. one who beat him for the the nomination, and then eventually won the general election, in in a contest that included a candidate with the name of Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> so there's there's lots of uh, uh, names, famous names being thrown about, but yeah, Kathy Augustine. She served two terms as controller died in office because she was murdered. Her husband was a nurse, uh, crit- or like a critical end-of-life nurse, who I guess gave her something that like a par- something that paralyzes you, and she eventually died from it. Uh, he eventually was... They, the police figured out that he was behind it. It didn't help, I guess. He'd been telling his co-workers about how he could paralyze people with this... <laughs> particular drug that she tested positive for um and so when she uh when she passed uh, away uh she was replaced uh, temporarily uh, in office by uh, someone who'd ran against her in her second run for con- controller uh, at least in the republican primary a guy whose name coincidentally happened to be steve martin interesting so, so Abraham Lincoln lost a a race for controller that involved Thomas Jefferson, and eventually the woman who beat him was murdered and replaced by Steve Martin. Is <laughs> has the makings of an excellent story. Yes. Yes, it does. Now, does Steve Martin have any relation to David Martin, the erudite investigative journalist mentioned in this website that you sent me? Not that I know of. But that okay. w- wouldn't that be wild if they were brothers? Like, the whole thing, the circle is complete. It all connects. Can I, May I, I... I won't mention this fourth cousin's name, but may I read a paragraph from the website you just sent Go me? Go ahead. Uh, David Martin, the erudite investigative journalist, poet, and observer of the passing scene, whose groundbreaking work on James V. Forrestal's alleged suicide has been assiduously ignored by our ever more corrupt mainstream media, and whose review of Truth at Last in August 2012, titled Hillary Clinton and the Amelia Earhart Cover-Up, <laughs> remains by far the best done on the book, yesterday inadvertently informed me about an interesting but heretofore unknown thread in the Amelia on Air on Saipan saga. That is one whole sentence. Mm-hmm. I just read that was one whole sentence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, can, sh- shall I continue? Yes. Uh, Martin, also known as DC Dave to his online readers and whose website offers a lengthy six-part 1996 study of the Vincent Foster murder, still officially classified as a suicide, titled America's Dreyfus Affair, the case of the death of Vincent Foster, which would have been published as a book long ago in a world more interested in truth, told me in a brief email that the current Wikipedia entry on Amelia Earhart contained references to truth at last and with her own eyes. This is also the title of the book, I assume. Mm -hmm. I wasn't aware of this, but as I told Dave, 
these are very tiny bones that the ultra-biased establishment organ Wikipedia is throwing our way, <laughs> and very little until and unless Wikipedia changes its de depreciatory tone about Amelia and Fred Noonan's death on Saipan, I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's definitely, what's his name? I have no idea what the hell I just read. <laughs> Oh, I, uh, man. And I, I've had, I've had actual verbal, uh, conversation with this person as well. It's, uh, it's actually yeah, like, if you I envy your life sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I just had to interject that in, in, in into this, Chris. So I, I'm sure you understand why. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I mean, the whole Saipan thing sounds like. You know, I mean, it's probably Illuminati, the Clintons, uh, Soros is in there somewhere, probably. I don't know. Moon, fake moon landing. Fake moon. False flags. False flags. Uh, you know, Your, pedophile ring out of the pizza parlor. It's all connected. Earth is flat. Don't get, don't use vaccines. So we get a wanted segment next. I'm going to make a really long story short. There's a young woman named Colleen. She's dating a, a young man named Rick. Rick goes off to college uh, while still dating Colleen. Um, now, we're and it's very important that I mention this. We're hearing this from the point of view of Colleen. Okay, so just keep that in mind. She's telling her story. Uh, she decides, you know, Rick's acting, he's getting a little, a little crazy on her. Calling too much. She's like, I don't want this isn't a good fit. I don't feel romantically towards him. I just want to stay friends. So there's a reenactment where she's yeah, he's back from college for the summer, I guess. And they she goes and has a little talk with him in his truck. And she's just like, Yeah, dude, not feeling it, but I'd still like to be friends with you. And then Rick has a little bit of a meltdown. Um and gets out of his car and starts kicking rocks or something. I nothing Nothing it seems like have have we come across segments that are basically like this before? Like uh, there there's a couple in high school, and then one of them goes to college, mm -hmm. and because the girl's not interested in the guy anymore, he gets like violent. Um, I mean, this happens. Yeah, in life. I just I, like I don't know if we've I don't know if we've covered it in a segment. Hey, if anybody remembers us talking about this before, please let us know. But I don't remember this specific situation coming up okay um so so she breaks it off well i guess later in the week later that night whatever uh she's having a friend over for a sleepover and um her little brother is also has a friend over for a sleepover rick churchill busts into the house yeah with a knife and uh murders colleen's parents in their sleep uh stabs her little brother i think twice mm -hmm. um goes to find colleen uh, stamps her over 20 times, mm -hmm. uh, mostly in the back of the head. Uh, she is able to flee the attack uh, by screaming in the middle of the street. Some neighbors come out to see what's going on. Rick runs off. He runs home, packs his stuff, uh, gets in his truck, and drives off. So this this is the mystery is we're trying to find Rick right now. Like the the reenactment of like when he enters their house and starts it's fucking terrifying. It is it is one it is, I, quite possibly the most terrifying reenactment I have seen on this show so far. It is yeah yeah. 
Well, they, they, for, I think for obvious reasons, they don't have Colleen reenacting her own attack. <laughs> but the actress that they do have doing it is uh, very convincing. I mean, she is mm-hmm. she's portraying scared for her life um, very well. Uh, what I was really most impressed about about the segment is sort of the factual way that Colleen is talking about not only her previous relationship with Rick, but what had happened. Colleen's talking about her um, attack in a way that I think is very brave. Yeah, you know, you know just... like, totally. She is very measured while talking. It has, like, is holding it together, even though, like, her her parents were murdered. When, when Actually, when we were, when the segment started, the fact that I was seeing her actually interviewed early on, I was... I just sort of was like, oh, okay, so she's they're gonna, she got you know she was assaulted and they're trying to find find this guy. I pr- you know I probably should have realized that since we didn't interview the parents at all, that some something may have happened. And yeah, so it it is it is rather extraordinary. I I think like she holds it together in in the interview better than would be expected. Yeah, for sure. So she is, after the attack, she's in ICU for a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, her brother is treated and released the next day. The two friends that were staying over managed to escape unharmed. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but they were worried that Colleen wasn't going to be able to, like, she would be blind because I guess there was some damage to the nerves in her head. Right. And uh, she seems... Perfectly normal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. So anyway, there's an update. Yeah, yeah. Well, we thankfully this guy, this scumbag, gets caught, and as is my understanding, he is still in prison to this day. Yeah, he got put away for uh, 18 years to life. I think. Right. Right. Yeah, it wasn't. We don't get in like an unsolved mysteries video footage of him, like somebody calling him in or anything. It just says that he got picked, picked up. up. So right. it's just the white text on the. Right. Right. Yeah. What did what did yeah. what did you think of this segment? Um, scary as shit, dude. It was. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was. Like, and it. Go on. It just. Uh, I can't. I can't think of how many other times that this has happened to someone, but it didn't make it on unsolved mysteries. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, this was scary as fuck. Yeah. But you know what's not scary as fuck? Um. What's that? What's not scary? Um. Electronic stores? That was a horrible segue into our last segment, which is about an FBI operation where they set up a communication, a place called RA Communications. Mm-hmm. And basically their, their whole plan was this, was, this was in the era where cellular phones were still a relatively rare thing. And you wouldn't just go down to Walmart to get one. And so their plan was yeah. like to become the place for selling cellular phones for drug traffickers. Yep. And basically we get this this whole description of this operation where they actually successfully become the place. Like all their within like six months, all their clientele are drug traffickers. And they are apparently like they said it. They they say quote unquote that the place began to feel like a clubhouse, where the drug drug uh, traffickers would actually just use the, the, the store phone to make phone calls, 
Uh, and the FBI, of course, was able to record lots of information on this. And basically, yeah, we just find out that because of this operation, they are able to arrest, like, what, 80-plus drug traffickers. And the segment ends, and if you're like me, you realize there was no mystery in this. Yeah, I really just didn't understand because they point out two Colombian guys mm -hmm. and and how they were able to intercept drug sh shipments coming to those guys yeah. um, from bugging the store. So I'm wondering, well, is the mystery where what happened to those guys? They're trying to pick those guys up? I guess that must be it. But, like, they're so, like, they're not explicit about here are these guys. Here's what they look yeah. like. You know, here's some yeah. basic stats about them and where we suspect they, they are. Like, there's well, yeah, there's no like call to action. No, on the viewers' exactly. Part. There's no call to action. It just comes across as a very smug brag fest by the FBI. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> well, jokes on them though, because we do get an update, I guess, about the two uh, Colombian guys yeah. that were featured. So one of them got picked up and, and was sentenced such and such. But the other one still has an open arrest warrant. Like, he's completely evaded the law. Right, right. I guess I don't... But I just... I don't understand how... If they're in that office and they're conducting that business, why not just pick them up somewhere else? You have your evidence to try them. Uh, how did they get away from the FBI? I don't understand any of that. I don't understand a lot about this segment. It does seem like a weird brag fest. It is. On the FBI's like part. I was all throughout it I was like trying to figure out like what's the mystery going to be. And I was a little bit relieved because my worry was cuz like very near the end one of the drug traffickers begins to hit on the agent playing the secretary. Uh-huh. I was like, "Oh my god, is she going to have to like go undercover as his girlfriend?" And then, like, something oh, wow. bad happens to her. But no, yeah. they're just like, uh, that happens. And the FBI's like, uh, we better just end it right here. Um, yeah, cool story, bros. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robbie? Yes? I'm so hot. It's so hot in this room. I'm sorry. Let's get you out of there so you can go to the rest of the okay. uh, house. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'm getting delirious. Uh, <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks thanks for um, coming on to our Patreon, our Patreon rumpers. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you want us... we Oh, the biggest news of all, actually, I should have shared this up top. I want to share it now. Okay. Is now we have a producer. It is not... It is no longer me. I'm no longer the editor, host, producer. I'm only the host. Mm -hmm. We have a producer. So thank you to Connor um, for taking us on with his other podcasts. Uh, to, to he's Connor's from New York City. New York. Connor, please put a paste pecani salsa sauce <laughs> drop right here, please. New York City! Get a rope. Are, are, you, are you just going to start treating this like a magic power? Like, like, I, feel like, I feel like we're in a sitcom where you're like crystal the teenage witch and you you've you've just turned like 13 and you've discovered you have witch powers and you are now conjuring mm -hmm. drops into our podcast yeah, i am yeah. i do have that power god so 
So yeah, thanks to Connor. He did the last episode that we put out. So I think from this point forward, he's going to be the one uh, in charge of doing the editing. Uh, and if you want to make also, sure Connor yes. continues to get paid, please consider going <laughs> to our Patreon and, and signing up to give us money. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the bonuses will be able to put episodes out more regularly because the the burden is off of me to spend many hours editing these things. So yeah. please go check out our Patreon if you want. If you want, We're going to have more bonus content on there soon, uh, I promise. And also, we love hearing from you. I, Robbie, what do you think about this? I would really like our, view, our viewer listeners <laughs> to... I would like to hear some, like, shitty small town stories. You know, actually, I got back all of the surveys I sent out to our Patreon people. Yeah. And uh, Shitty Small Towns was pretty popular. Yeah, so. I really think that's kind of our brand mm -hmm. is, um, you know. So if you have, like, a story that you think can only have happened in your shitty small town, <laughs> please send it to our email. We're reenactedpod at gmail.com. I think we'll probably do a segment sometime in the future where we start reading your, your shitty small town stories Ooh. i'm not looking for anything like necessarily true crime but like if you have some like real country bumpkin shit <laughs> you can share with us um Must i would love to, i would love to hear it and and i can i'll i'll start right now this is the kind of thing i'm looking for um i lived i went to high school on an island and it was in the puget sound and the only way functionally to get from the mainland to the island uh, was to take a ferry there. You drive your car onto the ferry. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a, a rumor that this guy, Eric Sugar, I'm so sorry, dude, if you're still out there. Um, he had a kind of a reputation for being like a real idiot. So there was a rumor that he tried to, he had just missed the last ferry going back to the island for the night and that he had tried to jump his car from the ferry dock onto the ferry as it was departed. Oh my departing, God. And he ended up in the Puget Sound. He was fine. His car wasn't. <laughs> ended up in the Puget Sound. This is, this is the kind of country shit I want to hear. Like real small town, jumping Dukes of Hazard style, trying to catch the last ferry. Okay. This is what I want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. From the viewers. Uh, I would be very, very entertained to, to hear all this. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway that's reenactedpod at gmail.com we're also on social we still got that fan facebook page that reenacted Alyssa fan created pod fans or, or something yeah, Aly yeah Alyssa made it it's way better than anything I've made yeah talk to Alyssa uh, she'll get you she'll get you going and um, we are, we're also on twitter uh, at reenactedpod so there's that um, Robbie did I forget did I forget anything give us five stars on iTunes Five stars on iTunes, please, you guys. Um, if you don't like our show, it's just like don't say anything. You just can stop listening. That's and fine. if you, you have technical to, like, problems with iTunes, it's not our fault either. Yeah, please don't leave us a one-star review because you can't figure out how to download a podcast. <laughs> That's not our fault. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we covered everything. Uh, join us next week for another edition of Unsolved Mysteries. That sounds good. Okay. All right. Bye.